Okay, everybody, welcome back to episode 33, Kente Corner. I'm Bobby Bancroft, joined again here with Casual Hoya, Andrew Geiger. And Andrew, since we last spoke, Georgetown has had to really play kind of two games with only six players. They beat St. John's in an epic comeback, but last night they were unable to recover from a slow start against Seton Hall, falling to number 12, the Pirates 78-71. Andrew, what's going on? Is sports still pain? Sports is pain. Sports has always been pain. Sports will always be pain. Um, This game was lost, however, before the Hoyas took the court. Um, Generally, I don't advocate for the firing of anyone. You know, people have lives. They have responsibilities. They have mouths to feed. Whoever it is on staff that continues to roll out these white uniforms needs to be shipped out somewhere. It's destroying the program. Every time they wear these goddamn white uniforms, it makes me so angry. Honestly, I, I didn't want to cover the game last night. I don't think I sent out one tweet last night. It's just, it's just, it's, it's sickening. I, I don't know what their record is this season. You, you probably have it. Two and four. I can't imagine it's any. Two and four. I mean, it seems like they're like one and a hundred wearing these these stupid threads. I just don't understand. They have nothing to do with the school's colors. Um, and you said, look, 16 nothing before you can blink an eye. I mean, this just can't happen anymore. Next time the team wears these white uniforms at home, I'm really not going to cover the game. I'll leave the game thread open so people can comment, but there will be no recap. There will be nothing. So Georgetown, you know, they're down the four transfers. McClung's not healthy, but your last straw is the white uniforms. Absolutely. Something's got to give. Okay. And hey, when they so they they are two and four, but if you can remember back and it seems like fifty years ago, the opener against Mount St. Mary's where they found themselves down, I think nineteen, they were wearing white. So they're basically just like <laughs> they're a miraculous comeback winless. away from they're they're, they're, from, bas- they're they're basically winless. Right. Um so the white uniforms aside, um if if you paid attention to what Seton Hall, so they had lost their first game over the weekend to Xavier and they'd found themselves in a similar hole. They went down 18 to two. They were down 30 to six. Um, I was covering the game last night for the Associated Press. So my, my focus was mainly on Seton Hall, meaning I didn't even get to see Patrick Ewing. I know he didn't bring a player out cause they lost, but um, Willard and Miles Powell and Quincy Knight, they all did their stuff in the hallway. So I wasn't really, wasn't really focused on Georgetown, but, you know, Seton Hall basically and talking to all of those guys, they had had a game just like they did to Georgetown where they got clobbered immediately, you know, they never really recovered. So they were ready to do the opposite and they did it. But I think that being said, my sense just being there, you know, being at, being at, being at midcourt sitting next to a Seton Hall beat writer um, is, you know, no one wants a moral victory. You know, this isn't, this isn't, you know, youth club or whatever, but I think Georgetown's, current roster and who played and what's going on is actually kind of impressive and i think this is a really likable bunch right yes and and yes and actually i would like to rescind a part of that tweet that i sent a couple weeks ago about, yes i knew uh, it about uh, about heart and effort this group is definitely giving it um you know especially led by mosley he's really developed as a leader out there um, and it's really remarkable that this game was a, you know, one or two possession late 
yeah. given the start. Um, and really that St. John's win is a, was a testament to, to this group as well. And yeah, you know, if we can go back to that for a second, because we didn't have a chance in our super busy lives of Super Bowl parties and whatever it else is we're doing as being parents and, you know, upstanding members of society. <laughs> we didn't get a chance to talk about the St. John's game, but I know it's in the moment, but would that maybe be Ewing's best win as coach? It's got to be up there, right? Uh, not really. It's not exactly. Really? I mean, that's a that was a horrible loss for St. John's. I mean, it's not like it's not like St. John's is good. St. John's is really the only team we can beat. <laughs> so, I mean, if that were against better competition, sure, I'd give that to you. Yes, Ewing gets some credit for schemes in the second half, blah blah, shaking that, stuff up. Sure. And that's kind of what I'm what I'm talking team, about. Yeah, but we don't win that game against any other team in the league. Maybe even DePaul. Hey. I think I think it has more to, I think that says it says really more about Mike Anderson than it does Patrick Ewing, frankly. Hmm. I'm not sure. I think I've been I think I have been critical of Ewing and sort of seeing this like, you know, once like a plan A doesn't work, I generally from my, you know, he knows a lot more about basketball than I do, but from my vantage point, it always sort of looks like on defense, there's not really a plan B. And it seemed like there was a plan B. Now people on Twitter pointed out to me that when you're down 17 with 16 minutes left and you've got no bench, you sort of have to do a lot of different things. And we saw like a, a three, two zone. We saw a six man rotation pressing, which I know he wanted to do when the season started. So I felt like he didn't just lose, you know, if they were going to lose that game, they were going to lose it a different way, which is what I want to see more from not just him, but really any coach of a team that I follow, you know, just if something's not working, you know, just try something different. So I guess yeah. that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at it through that lens. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've been called a Ewing apologist this season. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm glad that he was able to shake things up and he certainly deserves credit for that win. I just don't think that happens against a better team. Probably not. But that being said, Miles Powell made a ridiculous drive and he kind of just threw it up and it went in. I don't have the exact time. I want to feel like it was two minutes and like 10 seconds left. And at that point, Georgetown is within four, which makes no sense at all. They shot 30% from the game. You know, they made four out of like 25 three pointers, which in today's college basketball is you're just not going to win doing that. You know, Blair played the whole game. Mosley, you know, basically played the whole game. They're asking so much. So for them to be there, when the game started, you're thinking, like, I started to think immediately to the Georgetown-Villanova game from Ewing's first year where it was their worst Big East loss ever. And I'm thinking, wow, like, you know, Seton Hall right now can kind of name their score. And, you know, year, year seven had a terrible first half. He came back against those Giants that are blocking all the shots. So I really feel like... If they weren't down 16 nothing, I know what you're saying about beating St. John's, but I do think that like maybe if they were only down like 9 nothing the you know last night, they might have actually pulled it off, which is kind of crazy. But they didn't. Well, honestly, it it was kind of frustrating because it actually reminded me a lot of the game against Seton Hall in the Big East tournament last year. Oh, I, where, I was there. You know, I was there. It was yeah, not a fun I mean, experience. Powell, Powell Powell goes off in the first half mm-hmm. and the game is over. But what's kind of maddening about this Hoyas team, and, and again, they deserve credit for, for fighting back and all that, this team continues to allow the opponent's best player to go off. And I'm not yeah. sure what the deal is. You know, Mosley, 
been great. He's not a lockdown defender. Pickett, frankly, has been terrible on, on both ends. I saw, I, I think you tweeted or someone tweeted that he's been so close to double-doubles in every game. I would argue that anyone getting his minutes is going to put up the same amount of stats, if not better. Um, you know, I, I, if you look back at that last play, the game winner against St. John's, there, there's some cool angles on Twitter for people from people who like film the play from the stands. Okay. Go back and watch pick. Go back and watch Pickett. Mosley is driving down the middle of the lane. Mm-hmm. Dishes off to your seven on the right. Pickett is on the left. My guess is that Pickett was supposed to draw his man out of the paint somewhere near the three-point line so that there'd be less bodies in the paint to potentially block a game winner. He stands there and does nothing. Just go back, go back and watch it. It's just pretty interesting. My, my bet is that he was completely in the wrong position on that, on that last game winner. My, I, I was talking and I don't want to put, I don't want to put Ben's thoughts out there. Um, our, you know, good friend, Ben Stanick. Uh, we're, we're talking last night a little bit after the game and we're trying to think of who, because if you remember the way Pickett came in, I think he shot around the high 30% for three. Obviously on that team, he needed to be a guy like that. And we're, we're, we're trying to think if there's another player who sort of came in as a pretty good three-point shooter. And right now it seems like he's kind of lost his confidence. Like he can make open threes. Like if he's just a catch and shoot guy, pretty productive. I'm not sure if it's, if the game is maybe a little bit too fast sometimes, or he's not ready for these kind of minutes, even as a junior. But I do think that he's catching a lot of the heat. Whereas like last year, I think Jesse caught a lot of the heat defensively. I think Pickett's catching a lot of it too. And it's more than just one person, but I think maybe him being the only small forward, he just wasn't ready to step up and just be the guy that plays 40 minutes the whole, you know what I mean? I, I just, it just seems. Yeah. Definitely- I, I mean, before the- before the season started, there was talk about, you know, Galen Alexander perhaps starting ahead of Pickett, right? And Le- LeBlanc getting a lot of minutes and, you know, I mean, yeah. the, and Gardner even getting getting minutes, you know, on the wing. Like, a lot of these guys who left, you know, in the great defection of 2019, these yeah. were guys that were going to be taking minutes from, from Pickett. And now that they're gone, he's really forced to play as much as he has been, Um and I, I just don't think he, he's up to the task. Yeah, I think he's probably – he's more of a situational player still. I think with his length, I, I, I just think he's probably the player that, that like you look at with the most potential and he sort of looks the part and it's never it's, – there's he's got games, but he's also got games where, you know, he's 0 for 7 or last night he was 3 for 11 and – you know, just a couple of those shots that, like you said, that being said, he did have nine points, 10 rebounds. It wasn't me that tweeted that, but you are kind of right. If you're going to play that many minutes, I mean, you know, the stats are out there. Um. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, look, he's he's a lot like Isaac Copeland, right? I mean, just you, you see you see the potential there, and it just hasn't come to fruition. I, and I, I don't necessarily see the light bulb going off between at, at, certainly at any point this year, um, you know, hopefully something happens between this year and next year, but I, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm certainly pessimistic as far as ticket goes. Speaking of pessimistic, I thought I was pretty optimistic for myself. So if you remember, we did it like, I think, you know, we've done a couple emergency pods this year. The first one we did was the night the Akinjo LeBlanc news broke 
And at that point, I really felt like they had enough to make the NCAA tournament. And I know that you were, you know, you were very, the season's over. And I took the opposite role of, I think they're going to be okay. And looking back to what they've sort of done now, and that, that was before they lost, obviously, Gardner and Alexander. Looking back to what they're, where they are now with, you know, with all their computer numbers, the net, the Ken Palm, blah, blah, blah. And what they've accomplished, I think, look, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you don't know how um, chemistry is going to be on the court with everybody. We didn't get a lot of Alexander or Gardner to really know. But I think if you if you add those two players, I think that they're in great shape. Uh, OK, but they're not on the team. I know. Well, I'm just, I'm, I, yeah, no, I know. But like, so I was, I was, I was about to venture forward and just do the math game. But um, in talking to, in talking to some people last night, you know, even like last night would have been like, if they'd won last night, all of a sudden they're in everyone's bracket again, even at the record would yeah, have been what yeah. four and six in the conference or four. Yeah. They, they would have been four and six, right. but even at three and seven, right. that's usually a record that kind of has you dead and buried. And you're just, you know, put in like the last nail in the coffin you know, they're still floating around there in the 50 and, you know, it's, you know, they've still got enough stuff and they have enough opportunities. Now it's, it's unlikely that something happens, but so let's go to the math. Georgetown's now 13 and 10. They're three and seven in the league. The first mark, in my opinion. So they've got, they've got eight games left before the Big East tournament. They need to go three and five to guarantee a non-losing record. That's like the first accomplishment. The second accomplishment, if they go four and four, that gets them to 17 and 14, in my opinion, that gets them in the NIT. Okay. And then the next mark, which is the unrealistic mark, if they go five and three, it gets them to eight and 10 in the league. I think that plus a win on Wednesday would get them in the NCAA tournament if you want to be delusional. But that's where we are now. I would. That's that's the math. I, I, I I, I agree. I would argue, though that if they win four more games in the regular season and then get a win in the Big East tournament to get them to the 18 win mark, I think based on the strength of the non-conference schedule, um, our numbers are going to look pretty good. I think we, I think we at least get a, you know, a, a 12 seed or even get in the playing game with 18 wins. Um, just because our compute, like you said, our, our numbers are still pretty good. Yeah, um, I'm just not. I'm just not sure that they even get four more wins out of the remaining schedule. So um, that brings me to a good spot. And just real, just real quick, Georgetown's kind of been a weird program in that they've never truly been on the like you've never woken up as a Georgetown follower on Selection Sunday and been like, oh my god, like is Georgetown in? There's two times that I can think of. One was 2014 when they lost to DePaul for the first time in Big East play. They went up to New York. Everyone had them in the tournament. They lost to DePaul. Everyone decided they were out. And then when the tournament field was, you know, announced, they were out. But then they came out with, like, the last four that missed it, and Georgetown was on that list. And I think everyone was like, I didn't realize it was that close, you know? Um, And then going back to the year Eshrick made the Sweet 16, a really good record, but they end up getting a 10 seed, which kind of has you close to the bubble. I think most people thought that year they were more of like a like like a seven seed, whereas in reality they were not too far from missing the tournament. But most years Georgetown's either totally in, they're like a you know a two, three, or four seed, or they're totally out. And like you said, if they get to four wins, even if you win New York, which is probably being optimistic, if you know, because that gets them whatever. But 
you're right. I think that Georgetown fans wake up on Selection Sunday being like, I don't know, like, do they have a better record or they have a better resume than like, I don't know, Clemson or whoever the hell else is on the bubble. I have, you know, no idea. But that being said, let's go through the schedule. So they got DePaul, they got at Butler, Providence, at DePaul, at Marquette, Xavier, at Creighton, Villanova. If you're trying to find four more wins on there, it pretty much you pretty much have to sweep DePaul, right? And which they haven't done yeah, in three years. I think you you have to sweep DePaul. You have to take Providence at home. Yeah. Um, and probably gonna get to Xavier at home. Xavier at home. Uh, yeah. You know, I know we've had success at Butler lately, but that's gonna be tough. Uh, <laughs> right. Creighton Creighton's always a tough place to play. Villanova, I mean, who knows? They'll probably be fighting for a Big East, you know, regular season title for that last game. You know, I guess best case scenario, you want to have that game against Villanova mean something, right? I mean, it's, a, it's senior day. Uh, if they if they win three games, head, you know, Before heading then. into that Villanova game, maybe they got a chance to be Villanova this, you know, on that afternoon. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. that would probably get them into the tournament, no doubt. Uh, I also think, and again, perhaps I'm just completely delusional, with <laughs> McClung on the on the floor, I think they can make a run in the garden. I mean, I, they, they really play well at MSG. Uh, and if you're playing in that Wednesday uh, game, you're probably going to get a team like what? Um, well, you want, you want yeah, St. John's. Right, you might get the Johnnies, you might get DePaul, you might get, I don't know, you might even get Providence, who knows? I, I, right. Well, maybe not Providence, but, um, you know, you, you win that game, and then suddenly you're, you've got a Xavier again, and it's not like Xavier is a scary team. Um, you know, you get a team like that, Creighton, you can, you can beat those guys in the garden. You're going to have a friendly crowd there, uh, arguably against any other opponent. So, you know, I think they can I think they can win two games at MSG. So we're really looking for four more wins in the regular season. And I think <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think four wins plus New York is gonna get us to the dance. Well, it's hard to come up with a roadmap for four wins without winning this Saturday against DePaul. And I think what makes it an even bigger game, just from everyone's head, the, obviously the players are most important because they're the ones, you know, that actually play. But I think it's going to be, I think it would be a pretty grim reap, or a, a pretty grim week if Georgetown loses at home to DePaul and then they have an entire week before they go to Hinkle. They don't have a game middle of the week next week, which I always think kind of sucks just for uh you know, you just like these games to like sort of just keep coming. You know, every every couple of days. Yeah. So yeah, I think if if you go three and eight with a whole week to think about, you know, how bad of the situation is, that's going to be a pretty bad time for everybody. So the DePaul game, and I always say every game, I I find a way to make it a big game, but I do I do really think that it'd be bad to lose both these games at home with a week off to think about how terrible everything is. If they, you know. They lose to DePaul. The fan base is going to check out for the remainder of the season. That that, yeah. that that just like you said that that week is going to be like no one's going to care. No one's going to care anymore until they they beat a decent program. Uh, so I would say that certainly the DePaul game is, is they must win. Uh, and if 
they come out in the white uniforms, I will not be watching the game. Well, I'm just hoping they come out in the title blues. So last night, there's been two different. I saw originally on the on the uh, stat sheet, it was like there was only 4,500 people there. Um, I've seen since then. It, I think it's been bumped up to like 7,000. Which for me, that I go to, I've been going to every game literally for almost. I can't remember when I wasn't going to games as a as a fan or media. It didn't seem like 4,500 in there. I don't know if it was 7,000, but I I think 4,500 was a little bit low. That being said, the the fans that were there. They definitely were waiting for something to get excited about, and the game got close, and they got they got really into it. But they also the students did a pretty good job. Georgetown had a pretty big recruit there. Um, do you know? Yeah. Have you been keeping track of anything online about about his about his uh, visit? Uh, I mean, just and shout out to that uh, that student group who um, put that stuff together. It's always great when you have recruits visiting uh, campus to you know show them that the students are actually excited about them. I can't believe that that, that was the attendance figure. You know, you got seat in the hall coming. Ugh, it's just so discouraging to hear that, you know, between 4,500, even if it was 7,000, that's still so such a terrible crowd for a seat in the hall game. Um, nonetheless, what you always want when these kids take official visits is you want them to commit shortly thereafter, or, you know, while they're on campus. You know, the more visits the kids take, you kind of think they get away from you. I I hope it's not the case with with Moncrief, but you you never know. I mean, I'm not one that's going to say I know a damn thing about recruiting. I don't think anyone really does. But uh, it's always nice when they commit while they're on campus, and that didn't happen, obviously. Yeah, you always want him to, you always, you know, you never want him to go to the next visit. I know that he's also a Seton Hall recruit, so it was a little interesting. He got to watch two teams go at it. I know people get worried to say, oh, well, we had a, you know, they had a recruit in and they lost. And it's not, I mean, obviously it'd be better if, you know, there was 20,000 people there and Georgetown won and all that stuff. It'd be a better experience. But you can also use the, okay, so the coaches talked to the kid afterwards and like, look, um, so here's the deal. If you'd been playing in that game, it would have been great because you could have done X, Y, or Z. So I think right. people do need to, re- you know, relax a little bit about, you know, when, you know, a player's visiting and the team loses. I think it's an opportunity for the coaches to point out, so we think you could play at this spot and we think you could do better, you know, than what's going on here. And so, it's you know, it's it's not necessarily like a zero-sum game about that. Um, no, absolutely, so that, and uh, absolutely, and there was a recruit last year. I remember distinctly, uh, Earl Timberlake. He was, you know, he was choosing, choosing between Georgetown and Providence, and I forget where he ultimately went. But is, it wasn't is he either at of those. Miami. Schools, but he was at maybe, but he he was at the Georgetown Providence game, that bonkers game where McClung hit like that three pointer from half court at the end of regulation to force overtime, and I think yeah. Georgetown ultimately won the game. And I remember seeing some picture of Timberlake like going crazy behind the, the bench and you know the fans were into it and it was a great experience and ultimately he didn't you know he, he didn't come to Georgetown so I agree with you that uh, the end result of the games really have no bearing on a recruit's decision to to come and you also made a good point I mean Ewan can easily go back at that tape and be like hey we clearly need someone like you and you're going to get yeah. a ton of minutes because right. you know we <laughs> you've got to fill this gap Right, exactly. So yeah, so that that was one of the that was one of the great Twitter questions we had. Here's one from Lost Keys. Um, what's the story with Wilson and Eagle FA? Seems like they could have played a few minutes to give them 
to give some of the players rest. Um, first of all, Wilson has not been on the bench the last two games. Um, I didn't get a chance to ask Ewing about it. I was dealing with Willard. Um, I tried to get some answers from some people, and basically there's no answer. But, you know, if you have eyes, uh, Malcolm Wilson has not had been on the bench the last two games. As far as Ego F, you know, if he was a if he was anywhere between a two, three, or a four, he'd be playing. But they don't really need depth at center, <laughs> you know. So that's kind of the problem there with him. Yeah, I, I liked what I saw out of him the last time he was on the court. He he, he had a he like played five or six minutes. It was a nice burst. He has a, you know huge wingspan. He impacted some shots defensively. Cleaned up on the boards. I really liked what I saw out of him. The Wilson thing. Um, it certainly shouldn't be surprised that we have no answers uh, out of Georgetown as to why he's not even on the bench. But that certainly should be a question one of you guys should ask Ewing. I'm interested to see what he tells you. Yeah, the next time I get a chance, um, that's definitely going to come up. And Georgetown has been pretty good with media availabilities. As not a full-time reporter, I've been unable to make my schedule work for them. But you know, just yeah. last week, they, they literally had two of them. They had one on Monday. I haven't been able to make them, and I didn't get to the post-game stuff just to the way the – usually the the away coach comes in with players to the press room. For some reason, Willard did not want to do that, so it kind of messed things up for me. So, find, no – Find out for me find, find out for me who it is that uh, makes the decisions on which uniforms they're going to wear that day. I will see if I can track down that answer. And you know what? We might be lucky enough. Someone that knows the answer to that might be listening to the podcast when episode 33, I want to make it a Ewing related title, but I'm not sure what, what I'm, what I'm going to make it might be listening. And maybe they'll just come out to me with the answer. I don't think that's likely, but it's a possibility. Um, Any, anything else see. on Twitter? Um, there's some people talking about practice wants to know if we're going to be making a shadow app. I believe this is an Iowa caucus related joke. Georgetown is so bad. <laughs> that is that is such a Georgetown thing. I don't even know what that is. Um, but so I think when they did the reporting, the app crashed, and I believe it. Was, everyone found out that like some company named Shadow, ironically, you know, just ridiculously enough, was the the company's name. So ah, yeah. Uh, so what would the creation of a Shadow app, as far as we're concerned, do for Georgetown? No, just I think just just for us, maybe. I think it was more casual Hoya related. Oh, well, I mean, if it would have the the impact of preventing us from losing games or getting results out later, whatever it is, some caucus-related thing, um, then sure, I'm into it. And then we've kind of got some generic ones, you know, how much alcohol is needed to make the pain go away, when is the pain going to stop, a lot of pain-related yeah. tweets. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, again, you, uh, you know, sports is pain. Do you have? And it's, 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 <laughs> do you have a Hoya's cocktail? Do you have like a a drink of choice when you're watching these uh, contests from the casual headquarters? You know, years ago, one of our guys in the block he made casual. Do you remember? Call he he made a beer called casual, which we had at one of the casual extravaganzas back in the day. Uh, I still have some of the bottles at home because, uh, you know, I'm obviously not going to throw them out. Uh, as far as drinks during the game, I'm more of a bourbon guy. I'll just throw, uh, you know, some Blanton's on the rocks to kind of sip it. Uh, Very uh, nothing, sophisticated you know, I'm not, of you. I'm not like, 
yeah, you know, I'm not throwing down tequila shots or anything like that. The beer is for frat brothers. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I've moved past beer. Uh, White Claws definitely would endorse a nice claw. Uh, but I'm more of a bourbon guy during the game. What, what's your take on the uh, the Bud Light uh, seltzer that's been being pushed recently? Uh, I'm into it. I think uh, people have <laughs> fallen into a, a, a white claw hole. I did try the natural Natty Ice version okay. of their hard seltzer. Uh, they have some flavor called like Aloha Beaches or something. And that was actually quite refreshing. So I imagine that the power, all of the power behind Bud Light, they're probably going to come up with some nice flavor varieties. So I'm anxious to try them. Did you get it? So I didn't get a chance to get one. Hopefully I can get my hands on one. But what did you think about the warm-up shirt the players were wearing? And I believe the first thousand fans last night. So if you believe the attendance, about basically 25% of the people that were at the game got one of those cool... I believe it's for Black History Month. It's a picture of John Thompson Jr. And he's wearing a Kente tie. I don't know if you caught that. I did see a, a glance of one. It does look cool. I don't know how you um, would, would get one. I recall last year there was something similar and no fans could get their hands on them. You know, it's interesting. It's so rare that the school comes up with or produces a you know good merchandise. You know this Hoyas season nonsense. No one wants that. Sh- no one wants that stuff. No one wants that shirt. Then they come out with a you know something cool with like Kente on a tie, and you can't find it anywhere. I mean they even have like a HoyasSeason.com website where you can go purchase this Hoyas season merchandise. I'm really? very curious to see how. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see uh how many shirts with with that crappy hashtag have actually been sold do they have any do they have any uh member or not memorabilia but um do they have any uh merchandise with title blue involved <laughs> you'll have to go check <laughs> i will um so some of the people it you know it's crazy um you know john thompson jr is back to go into games he's obviously healthy which everyone's Everyone's very happy about that. But you did get some people last night chirping about, you know, yeah, the shirt's cool, but I'm tired of this, you know, of that still being the sim- the symbol of the program. Do you get into any of that? Or is that just, that's just something that fans bicker about when everything's going wrong? Yeah. I mean, that's, people are going to say that uh, until the program turns around, you know, we, we discussed that on this podcast with, with Nolan, I believe, you know, the whole hold over to the Thompson era, and then, or maybe it was with Ben and, you know, you Ronnie Thompson's on the, on the staff. Yeah. Where is he? What is he doing? I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's always going to be there in the background until we start winning games consistently. Which needs to start this weekend. Um, Indeed. Would you, so, as we leave here, as we leave the good people wanting more, as always, would you say at three and seven, I would say season's not over. It's getting close and it's sort of like on the way to the hospital, but there's still a chance to make a U-turn if ever, if, if the vitals start improving is kind of the way I would, I would view Georgetown's NCAA tournament hopes. 
season is not over until the Big East tournament is over. Well, <laughs> okay, but they could go out and win the. I know, I know, they can go out and win the thing. I, you know, the, the realistically though, if they can't beat DePaul on Saturday, they're, they're not. You know, this team is going to be lucky to make the NIT. Yeah, I think so. I think the St. John's win was a big one. To I know no one wants to talk NIT to get that down. Basically, you're kind of your baseline has to be. You got to beat St. John's. You got to beat DePaul. And, and, you gotta fe- and, and, and look, I don't know what's up with McClung's foot, but the kid's got to play. I mean, rub some dirt on it and get out there. Yeah, that actually, thing broken. If, if, if his foot isn't broken, he's got to play. I mean, enough is enough. I, yeah, I should probably be fired. We haven't even talked about that. I, okay, so before yeah, before we leave, so I got there early because, well, I, I always get there early because I'm a nerd, but I got there early and. When Georgetown says somebody's day-to-day, I think it's just as likely he was going to play yesterday, and it's also just as likely he might miss the rest of the season. So I wanted to get a chance to see, like, you know, did it warm up? Like, what's going on? So pregame, he had a boot on. But then when he came out for the game, he wasn't wearing a boot, which seems kind of weird. Like, if you need a boot, why would you not need it for, like, the two hours that the game's going on? But I'm not a doctor. I didn't even come close to being a doctor. That being said, I was watching him walk after the national anthem, and he doesn't look to me. I know Ewing afterwards said that, yeah, we hope to get something out of him against DePaul. Um, watching him walk from where they stood, where they stood for the anthem to the bench, he did not look like a kid that's going to play anytime soon. So I think that's probably why right. I haven't brought him up because I'm sort of thinking like they're going to go with these. With these, these are the six guys. Well. They're not making the tournament without Mac McClung. Uh, no. I mean, that's just it. I mean, the, the, the heart and effort can, can be there all, all at once, but <laughs> at some point there, there's just not enough talent, uh, you know, and they can fight valiantly and do all this and that, but they're, they're not going anywhere without Mac McClung. He's the team's leading scorer or, or was, but I mean, you can't, you can't win games without Mac. He's, and if he has a sprained foot, um, uh, obviously you don't want to make it worse. You don't want to jeopardize the kid's career. If he can give any minutes, that would be helpful. I'm not good enough to go back and splice up old podcasts. Obviously I'm not even good enough to get the intro music yet, but I think if I could, yeah. what I would want to do is I can't remember what game it was after. I think Blair started the season like over 12 from three. And <laughs> I started to say something and you said, if you say Javon Blair, I'm going to hang up. And that's yeah. probably like the one thing I've been most right about was at some point Javon Blair was going to be a big part of the season. And he's had a couple moments before recently, but you know, he was big East on a roll 23 at the garden. He didn't shoot great last night, but he actually very un Javon Blair. Like he found a way to get to the line, which is hard when you kind of only shoot threes. He's kind of become, you know, a really interesting player. You know, I mean, obviously somebody has to take shots, um, but I think that, you know, Javon, I think that Blair Island, the Blair Switch Project, I think that those things are becoming, you know, a bigger deal. And I think I've got a lot more neighbors on Blair Island than I did when the season started, including maybe you. You you do indeed. The thing is, though, I would argue if, <laughs> if Javon Blair is the savior for your season, your season's in trouble. Okay. Well, you know, he started his you back. Know, but you know, <laughs> Credit, look, credit to him. He's He's been given a lot of minutes, and he's produced, no doubt. 
Um, I, I would argue that he's been one of the bright spots of this season, and people would actually look forward to what he can do next season based on his play this year so far. But again, you, you can't really de- – you don't want to be in a position where you need to depend on production from Javon Blair to win games. Yeah. It's un- and, that's, it's unfortunate. and that's really where we are. It's it's unfortunate that he had his big breakout game. Well, both of his big games. It was I think at, at at SMU, and then the game you know last weekend on Super Bowl Sunday at the Garden. So we have we in the media locally between media. Oh, maybe he's been in a media veil. I, I've missed the last couple, but we haven't really got a chance to talk to him. The only time I've talked I've I've spoke with him was um, the Meet the Team event. I had my son go around the Hoy Hoop Club thing. Um. You know, he hasn't gotten his chance to sort of talk and, you know, you, we just don't get a chance to meet to, you know, n- meet, but sort of get to know who the players are besides what we watch them do. And from all accounts, in all my interactions, he's been a pretty, pretty likable kid. So hopefully he has yeah. a big, a big game at home and we get a chance to talk to him about how his role has changed dramatically on the season. Um, but I think that's all we got today, Andrew. Next time we talk, I think we'll be talking about the four and seven Hoyas and how their NCAA tournament hopes are back on their back off life support. And they're sort of gradually coming back into play with a week before Butler. Um, that'll, that'll be next week. Yeah. I mean, it all depends on if, if Mac plays, I'm predicting uh, 81, 67 Hoyas over the demons. If he doesn't, you're looking at something, unfortunately, much closer that could probably go either way. Probably could. And if you want to go either way, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, basically anywhere you want. It's Casual Hoya Podcast through SB Nation. Kente Corner. We don't have the Kente ties yet, but we're working on them. I'm, I'm at Bobby Bancroft. Andrew is at Casual Hoya. We will see you next week. Later. Dude.